0: Welcome to the new little life podcast. My name is Allison. I'm a lactation consultant, a breast pump expert, and a mom of three little boys. Here on the podcast, we talk with real moms and experts about breastfeeding and pumping. This podcast is designed to help you feel supported by other moms who are doing exactly what you're doing to get tips and tricks on breastfeeding and learn how to efficiently navigate pumping while going back to work. Okay, here we are again, another episode in season two of the New Little Life Podcast. I love being here with you and I love talking to people from all over the world and really kind of seeing the different varieties of experience and expertise that we have. I'm often impressed with both the professionals that we have on here and the mothers often The people that we have on this podcast are a little bit of both today is no exception (laughs) we have a um highly qualified professional um but she's also a mother and so i'd like to introduce you to maureen farrell she is a lactation counselor a doula an herbalist and a home birth midwife practicing in rural west virginia i've actually been to west virginia it is super rural over there (laughs) in that area She passionately works to improve pregnancy, birth, and postpartum experiences for families through education and holistic care. The same motivation drove her to co-found the Milk Minute podcast in 2020, which you should absolutely listen to if you have not yet, which provides evidence-based and entertaining breastfeeding information. Maureen currently lives on a small hobby farm with her partner, two children, and lots of friendly little critters. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here today and to chat with you and all your listeners. That's going to be really fun. Um, So why don't you expand on your bio just really quick. Tell me a little bit more about what you're doing. What is your practice like, your family? Just give me a little bit more background.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, because I live kind of in the middle of nowhere, um, my practice, I have to sort of diversify what I do. <laughs> Back. So that, um, you know, I can have a business that sustains itself. So I offer, um, holistic care for, you know, prenatal birth and postpartum, um, what we call the childbearing year. Right. Um, and I even sometimes help people preconception too. Um, and so I'm combining my skills as a midwife, um, as a doula for those who don't want to have a home birth, um lactation counselor, you know, and an herbalist to kind of support people in the best way that I can.
0: That's very cool. Um, And how old are your little kiddos, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I have a seven-year-old and a baby that's almost two. (laughs) So you've got little ones just like me. (laughs) Yeah. You feel my pain in running a business and serving women, but also serving a lot at home. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's definitely not easy to be like, oh, I'm supporting you in the way that I kind of wish I had support right now right (laughs) isn't that funny i don't think you can totally understand that unless you're a working mom who just has is also wearing that hat um i don't know about you i had i had experience as a stay-at-home mom for for a little while and a working mom probably like half and half time for Mm me and they were very different different challenges in each of them Um, neither were easy and
1: Yeah, I stayed home with my first um, for like a year and a half or two years before kind of going back part-time. And then I went back to work about five months after my second baby was born. So yeah, they're both challenging.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. I know. I feel it too. Why don't you start and kind of tell us a little bit about, maybe we'll start with your first and kind of what that was like. How did breastfeeding go for you? What was that like? Especially the contrast between being a stay-at-home mom and, and a working mom a little bit.
1: Yeah. Um, so my first I was pretty young. I was 25, I think, when he was born, maybe 26. Um, and I really felt like I like did the book work, right? I was like, I'm gonna read every book about this and know what I'm doing. Um, but I didn't do any of the preparation to get social support which was a big mistake <laughs> yeah um and so you know I had this great pregnancy this great home birth and then postpartum hit me like a ton of bricks um and I was like oh now I'm like totally alone you know um and I live out in the middle of nowhere and things are not going at like breastfeeding didn't as planned he had a, some pretty intense oral restrictions but there's really nobody here to help with that. <laughs> Um, you know, like when I finally found resources for that, they were like, oh, yeah, well, there's a doctor like five hours away in Virginia who'll do this and that. It's like, great. I'm not doing not going five hours away in Virginia for something my insurance doesn't cover.
0: Yeah. Oh, my. Word.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. And and really um, struggle with postpartum depression as well. And, you know, of course, my relationship with my husband was suffering at that point, too, because we equally did not prepare <laughs> for
0: this um yeah it was a really rough time it's it's so crazy to hear you say that because i feel like i did something similar i didn't but you don't know what you don't know right like yes. i read the books i did the research but there's just some parts of it that you can't prepare for until you have that little baby but i do think finding resources ahead of time is an awesome idea so that you at least know who to call when you have problems because you likely will. Yeah. Yeah. And,
1: and I think, you know, for some people that would have worked,
0: right. They maybe wouldn't have
1: had the same challenges as I did. Reading the books would have been enough. Um, And there's, there's no way to plan that part. Right. You've, you've spent, um, you know, about nine months growing this human, but you know, nothing about them (laughs) until they suddenly appear.
0: Isn't that the truth? How did you end up dealing with those oral restrictions, especially in your rural area? Yeah. Um, unfortunately I just kind of like muscled through it. Ugh.
1: I mean, I, you know, I, I figured out a little bit of latching help with my midwife, but honestly, like it wasn't her specialty. Um, and not something she had a whole lot of education on beyond like the first couple of weeks of breastfeeding. Um, and you know, I did my best with Google. Um, yeah. and, and just like, I, I think more than anything, it was determination. I was like, I don't have an option. I can't fail. Yeah have to do this um and that goes a long way and honestly when we look at um studies about you know the success of breastfeeding the duration one of the main things that is common for those who breastfeed longer is simply because they wanted to and they were determined to which is really interesting um and i'm gonna just kind of speaks to our power
0: you know (laughs) Absolutely. I felt the same thing with my first. I went back to work. Uh, he was about five months old. I worked in a school as a school nurse and mm-hmm. I had a supportive job, my own office, and everything. And I just could not figure out pumping to be able to get the output out that I needed. Yeah. And, but it was sheer determination that I pumped f- for that first year, even though we did have to supplement a little bit of formula because I just could not get the milk out that mm-hmm. was there which is frustrating we were breastfeeding fine on it the weekend so frustrating Why couldn't yeah. I couldn't get it out and but the only reason I pumped that long was just be- because I was so stubborn and I'm like I am not gonna not do this <laughs> even if it's I mean that's not a, working It's all of motherhood right that's all of motherhood oh you're like God. this isn't working and I also have to keep going yep and I feel like for some people they're like, no, this is not worth it. And I'm done. And I think that's fine too. I think it just, yeah. everyone has their things that they choose to, to die on that hill. And for me, that was one of them, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, like, absolutely. And I, I felt the same way. And I, I think really, I don't know exactly why it felt, you know, it felt more important than almost anything else I was doing for my baby at that time. Um, And, you know, my second experience was not the same at all. And of course, much easier because I'd done it before. Right. Mm -hmm, Yeah. But I also just didn't. um, I don't know the importance of it was there, but it didn't feel like my life was hanging on.
0: Yeah. I think that's really common for a lot, especially first time moms. You have this baby and your one job is to feed them. Right. And Only you can do that if you're breastfeeding. Right. So yeah, I think it really just becomes this obsession almost of milk and feeding. And because like, that's the one thing that you're required to do for your baby. And I think it can kind of turn into that where my whole life revolves around feeding and milk and
1: yeah. And it's hard to find a balance. I mean, the first mm-hmm. time I didn't, um, I didn't introduce a bottle because I was really afraid of bottle preference. Sure. Um, but when I did decide, I was like, maybe I'll pump so I can like take a day away. Yeah. Um, got out the random pump my insurance sent me and it, it was terrible pump. Now I know that. I used it though. And I was like, oh, I don't make any money. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's right? coming
0: out. I don't know Must what to do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
1: Uh. Um And, you know, I know this now, but at the time I didn't understand uh, kind of the relationship between like supply and essentially storage capacity of your breasts, because, you know, we all have this different amount of glandular tissue and we can certainly make sufficient amounts to feed a baby with a lot of different variables there. Um, but people in a situation where I'm like, oh, I don't have a ton of glandular tissue You know, at the most, I make a couple ounces at a time and then that's it. There's no more room, which meant my baby just fed really, really often. And I didn't understand that. I was like, oh, he's hungry. (laughs) He's really small and I'm just not making enough. So I'll just keep feeding over and over and over. And, you know, not understanding that dynamic really made me lose
0: a lot of confidence. Yeah. And do you feel like there is a difference between Breast storage capacity and breast size. Like, those two things aren't necessarily the same thing. Right? They're not. Size is mostly about fatty
1: tissue, you know. Um, because if you imagine, say, the space that, like, I don't know, five ounces of milk takes up, it's not that much. Like, it's not yeah. very big volume-wise. If you put it in a little baggie, it's, like, less than an A cup, you know. Yeah. And, and your glandular tissue is not much bigger than the milk that would be in it because when there's nothing in it it like deflates um so in itself glandular tissue is pretty small even when it's very full even those people who do pump like wildly oversupply amounts like 12 ounces or something you know it's still not that much if you're thinking of like size
0: (laughs) i always think of this um doctor that i worked for back when i was working as a nurse in ob and she was a pumping mom and this was before i had any of the experience that i do or was a mom myself she was a tiny little woman um with like a cup speed bumps and she could pump like i mean like five ounces six ounces you know which is like a good amount on the healthy side of of -hmm. a little bit and it was impressive i'm like where are you getting this from like your boobs are tiny (laughs)
1: Like, yeah, and know. you know we have yes. we have the dynamic too of how quickly your body makes that. Um, sure. Some people kind of refill slower, and some do so faster. So it's also like, I guess it doesn't matter how much your carrying capacity is if your body's like, we are going to marathon and do this milk really fast.
0: Yeah, it just goes to show you that how everyone is different. <coughs> excuse me, different, yeah. and the size doesn't really matter. Um, no, nope. and you can't really measure the internal. Um, storage?
1: Capacity, no, I, can you? I mean, you, you could do imaging to like ultrasound imaging, maybe. Uh, and that's, you know, that's one of the best ways we have for actually visualizing like ducts and um, alveoli and stuff. But while we can see that we actually don't have a lot of the data to tell us like a ton about what we're looking at. Um, and I know that from you know referring people over to breast specialists and imaging, you know, for issues during breastfeeding. They're like, "Why did you send me someone who's breastfeeding? I can't see anything. Can't see what I need." I'm like, "Okay, because they needed needed to see you."
0: I guess we should image these people more so we know what we're doing, right? I'm glad you said that because that's consistent with the data and research that I found, or lack Mm -hmm. thereof. It's just that there's like not a lot of information here, and I don't think there's really a great way to measure that either. So if you're listening and you're like, well, how do I figure out my breast storage capacity? It's so
1: much of it is just trial and error. You know, it's kind of a guessing game. I mean, the best way to do it, if, if you have a good pump, you know, it's really efficient, you know, how to use it, you know, would be to wait like that full time between feeds and pump really efficiently and whatever. And then you could be like, okay, this looks like about my storage capacity. You still don't know you can't, you know, you're not like poking around like, oh, I guess there's nothing in there. You
0: don't know that. Yeah. And I think it really, like you said, you got to make sure you have a good pump and you're pumping efficiently. And what does that yes. mean? You know, like that, that's the, the variable there because um, there's a video that I'll post on in the show notes called, um, where we, I talked about low milk supply versus low pumping output and how these are mm-hmm. not always equivalent or the same thing. And you really have to learn how to pump efficiently and make sure that you know you're getting the milk out that is. There and how to do that. Yeah. And and
1: the one of the hard things too is every pump is not gonna work for every person. So I could come on here and be like, the spectra S1 is the best thing I've ever used. It's so amazing. And you know, if every one of your listeners tried it, maybe two thirds would agree. The other third would be like, This is the worst pump I've ever tried. Nothing it doesn't work at all for me. Mm-hmm. Um and and that's a really hard thing to figure out. There's no way for you to like do some body scan and suddenly be like, oh yes, I've been matched with the ideal pump. You know, especially Wouldn't because be so cool? much of what we God, I know, like the airport yeah. scanners, mm-hmm. you just go in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also we have the challenge too of like the, the companies selling these pumps want you to buy them. Yes. Right? Regardless of how good they are, they don't they don't really care about you or their life. It's a profit thing. So the information you get about the pumps are just marketing marketing information and it's not necessarily something accurate
0: yeah that's a huge problem i mean i talk to a lot of breastbone companies and manufacturers and things any of them that i can get on the phone with because i like to learn and and yeah it's interesting to see the contrast between some companies have people that started it that are really passionate about mothers um and some that are definitely just in it for the business. The breast pump industry is like a $1.8 billion industry globally. It's crazy in 2021. Yeah, it's crazy. So, but even then, even the the moms and business owners that are really passionate about the products that they're selling are still in a business, you know, and they're trying to make a profit and to also Absolutely. serve. And, you know, I don't know if you struggle with that at all kind of in your practice. I know I do a little bit too, just like, we're running a business and we're supporting our families based on this mm-hmm. information that we have, but we're also serving a really vulnerable population. And I don't know, that's always just kind of an interesting yeah. place for me to be.
1: Yeah, I am. Um, I don't know if you know this company, Um, it's cloth diaper company called Little Helper. And the guy who runs it, at, I think their marketing is the most ethical thing I've seen. And he Made this video about ethical capitalism, um, and it really helped me kind of verbalize what I'd been feeling about running a business that is necessary and needed, and it's a service, and I have to get paid for it, and you know, I also am trying to essentially target a population that has a very limited time frame in which they're going to hire me. You know where a lot of companies see that, and they move right to predatory marketing. And you know, I'm looking at you, lactation cookie industry. Um, You know where they prey on people's fears in order to get money. Um, But you know, it's trying to trying to balance all of that, and still at the end of the day, go home with a paycheck and support your family is really difficult.
0: I'm right with you. I. Every once in a while, I'll have someone that will come on wanting uh, to join my program, which is called Pumping for Working Moms and not realize that there's a fee associated there. Um, But there is like, this is how I run my business, but I've also put together this program that I know and believe in and that other moms have seen great success with and can help you master pumping and going back to work. But you do have to invest a little bit in yourself and in other working moms to make this work and whenever I see those graphics, like comparing breastfeeding and formula feeding, you know, and breastfeeding is free. And and I think almost every mom that's done that will disagree with that statement <laughs> because, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just not, but the benefits are there. and And I think if you're committed to giving your baby breast milk, whatever that looks like for you, get the help that you need, invest in good quality equipment and good help. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just, I know you're doing a lot of those same things too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's a good way to frame it to people. And I, I really I struggle the most with this with um, home birth services because they're the yes. most expensive thing I offer, right? Mm-hmm. Thousands of dollars, cash up, you know, you have to pay in cash. Our insurance doesn't cover it here. Um, and, you know, that's the first thing I talk about with people in consultation because I'm like, I don't want you to in, get invested in this emotionally and make plans and then realize you can't afford it. So it is this much money this is the kind of payment plan I offer. And I think it is absolutely worth it to invest in your health this way, you know? And if you can't do that, I'm not offended. I'm like, yes, I understand. There have been times I couldn't afford that either.
0: It's so hard. It's so hard. I remember with my second, we were in the military and I looked into a home birth and we we couldn't afford it, you know? And with my third, we were over in Europe and the home birth system is a lot different over there. And I was able to, pay a midwife for a home birth over mm-hmm. there and have that really cool experience over in Europe. Um but yeah, it's a hard it can be a hard pill to swallow um when you either making that investment in the help you need or having to pass on something that you really want or or need as well. Ugh, such a hard hard place to be. Yeah,
1: and and I feel so lucky and privileged to have had the experience that I had, you know, with my second. I could not have afforded a full-priced home birth but you know i was already a midwife and i knew the community and my mm-hmm. friend who had just retired was like okay I'll, co- I'll come out of retirement just like pay me the cost of you know driving and all that um and that was so incredibly kind you know and i don- i'm not sure what i would have done without that <laughs> yeah. um because that was not a planned pregnancy and it was not it was not a good time it was not a good time to have a baby it was fine
0: now it's great it worked out wonderfully yeah. but at the time i was like literally there's nothing in this bank account. Oh my gosh. So were you working at that time you had your second and what did postpartum life look like for you kind of adjusting to this surprise um, happy um, yes. eruption? So, <laughs> so I had just
1: opened a solo practice like a month before I found out I was pregnant and I just spent a bunch of money in <laughs> Was like, I'm gonna, my plan had been to spend one solid year working my butt off to establish my solo practice and then to try to have another baby. Um, but you know, I had these really very good plans. Um, and life did not like those. <laughs> and I was actually very, very angry and sad um and to find out that I was pregnant at the time I was because it was it was a really hard choice what to do. Because on one hand, I was like, I want this. I want a second kid. I am I really want that to happen. I want a sibling for my son. You know, I want this family, not now. And, you know, I was afraid of what would happen if I made the choice not to continue with that. Would I like, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people have that fear. Like, could I do this again? What if I can't for no logical reason? Sure. Um, <laughs> And, you know, also like, what if I do continue? I had just picked up a couple of clients. I had just gotten um, some emails about people due in the same time that I just found out I was due. And I was like, oh, my God. And then right after I decided that I was going to do it, I was like, I'll just do like everything else. I'll I'll just grit my teeth and get through this Um two clients who I had caught their babies as a student called with due dates within a week of mine. And I was like, I'm, I don't, this was a bad choice. Oh, that's,
0: hard. <laughs> um, that's hard. And their births.
1: Yeah. And their births turned out fine. It, it was fine, but I had a really hard time coping with saying no. Um, and especially saying no for something that I wasn't really sure I wanted. Oh, that's, um,
0: that's a hard place to be. <laughs> especially trying to yeah. build a business and having that, oh, I don't know, my heart just goes to you because I served the same way. Like I, I was a doula and I remember just having to turn down work based on my own pregnancies and babies in life. That was really, yeah. Um, I wanted to serve and help. And sometimes I couldn't, that was hard. Yeah, and I ended up um,
1: with mild hyperemesis, that pregnancy, which really sucked. Oh. Um, and I worked until 32 yeah. weeks. Um, which my original plan was like, oh, I'll just work right up to 37 weeks because my first pregnancy, I could have, I worked right up till the day my baby was born. We were literally building the house we lived in at the time, you know? I was like laying flooring the day before I had him. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And I felt great. So I was also 25, you know? Totally. Me, that was me with my first pregnancy too. I was at work the day before. Yep. Yeah. which was two days after my due date. I'm like, I'm here. Exactly. And I couldn't be
1: more thankful that I, my last client, delivered when i was 32 weeks because i spent the next like 2 months in bed basically cuz i felt true. so awful oh. and i had left her labor like 3 times to go like quietly vomit in her bathroom
0: uh. <laughs> it was terrible oh my goodness this is the story uh. of women serving women like we have to do this i remember lugging my pump around to births as a doula. And actually there was one client who ended up, I was in the car with her and we had the baby in the car. Um, and she used my oh pump gosh. bag as a pillow because like, that was the only thing we had is she kind of laid to, you know, breathe her baby out. And right. so that pump bag is really special to me because it was there, but I remember sitting in waiting rooms with a cover, you know, yeah. I had to step out yeah. and go pump and it, it's, mm-hmm. this is what happens when you get women, serving other women is and i don't think you get to see a lot of the behind the scenes of the workers that are actually serving you Mm -hmm. for sure and i my plan after
1: lyra was born um i was like i'm gonna wait at least six months to go back like maybe a little longer you know i was kind of like i'll feel out you know who's who's due when and and then my best friend called me when i was still pregnant with her to be like um i'm pregnant with my iud and i was like oh Super. That sucks. <laughs> okay. We're going to talk about that. And, I, you know, I helped her through it. She decided to, you know, keep that pregnancy and IUD got removed and everything was fine. But she was due like just about five months uh, postpartum for me. And I was like, all right, we're going to make it work. We're going Don't know in. how. Yep. But we're going to do this. <laughs> and her, thank goodness for her first baby, she had like a very short, smooth, easy. It was such an easy birth to go back to. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for that. And I was only gone like 10 hours, you know, not and bad. pumping was not smooth the first time, but that's mm-hmm. a manage that's like, a- that's like baby sleeping through the night. It was manageable.
0: Yeah. You can um, make do for 10 hours. Know. Like if-, that exactly. one time if you have to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, what I had done to prepare is I got, um, I got a spectra, which for me was like a good workhorse. You know, I knew I could like really empty everything with that pump. And then I got, um, the original LV pumps. And I was like, okay, here's my plan. Like I'm going to put these on when we start pushing and just leave them in, not turn them on, just leave them there. Cause I know once that starts, that could be like six hours till I get a chance to sit down, you know, between pushing and birth and postpartum and all that. Um, And I was like, yeah, so I'm going to put them in if I need to pump and just turn them on and off for a couple hours, I'll do that. Um, And that worked out really great even though those original ones are a little leaky. I did eventually switch to yeah. the um, LV stride instead because they don't leak at all. Um, but that, I mean, doing that for births basically from then on was a lifesaver for me.
0: Did you find that you could keep them lined up on nipple right? Or did you have to kind of realign them a little before you <laughs> turned them on? I just <laughs> want to, to clarify for listeners because I don't know if they'll just stay in place
1: for hours. <laughs> they, they don't. And I did like sure. wear my most like supportive kind of tightest bra that I yeah, could without, um, without putting too much pressure. Um, for the most part, they stayed what actually what I did. So I, I do, I do have a larger chest and I do, um, have kind of, you know, like down pointing nipple. Sure. <laughs> so I would roll a little, um, like burp cloth up and put it under the pump and kind of under Ooh. my breast a little bit in the bra. So it kind of like propped everything up. Cause cause I would find when I put them in, there'd be this weird like space underneath that they'd kind of slide sure. into sometimes so I was like all right I'm just gonna like chalk them up there nice so they don't slide out um and I really you know by
0: the time I was all done with this I had a great system totally it's those little tiny logistics though that you often miss and those are the things that make it work I think for larger Absolutely. breasts especially rolling up a little birth cloth sounds perfect mm-hmm. right under that just to kind of fill in the space like you mentioned what an awesome idea yeah
1: Yeah. And then basically, you know, I would set a pump alarm and almost never be able to follow it at work. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I would then at this every possible opportunity sit down with my spectrum to pump fully and do my best and do like a really hands on like, you know, pumping for 30 minutes if I had to and just get everything out because I really didn't know. When the next time I'd be able to sit down was, and I think that's the reality for so many like healthcare providers and teachers, um, and so many jobs where theoretically you get a break until you don't. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So how did you make that work? That really unpredictable schedule because I've been at burst I know exactly what you're talking about. There are times, legit, where you cannot step out, like you just cannot. And so, how did you? Did that negatively affect your milk supply? Were you able to make it work? I mean. I yeah. Think a lot of people are experiencing this kind of thing.
1: For sure. The thing that I did to that really made it work was to like passively collect milk at home with waka. Okay. Um, and I did that from two weeks postpartum because I knew I was like, there could be birth some comfort three days. Like I need to have that much milk in the freezer just in case, who knows, maybe I'll come home with nothing unpredictable. Um, So I would use that like, two to four times a day um and get like 1 to 3 ounces of milk which was great i mean a week of that adds up really fast so i did that for about 4 months
0: <laughs> yeah
1: um and i had basically like a whole week of milk in the freezer which took such a load off because then i was like i don't have to come home with the same amount of milk my baby Especially because I wasn't doing births every day. You know, I no, still had yeah. kind of a lighter load. Um, and for the most part, my work was just doing scheduled appointments with people and virtual appointments. And that's very easy to schedule pumping around. You know, I could be pumping right now. You'd never know. <laughs> I would never even know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yes, yeah, so it was really just like the occasional birth that that would mess with my schedule. And I would do my very best to stick exactly to kind of a tight pumping schedule like every hour and a half to 2 hours okay. um in the first stage of labor right mm-hmm. where i knew i could just step out for 15 minutes um and then i would go to more like every 3 hours in active labor and pushing and all that and and that's really worked re- well and You know, it helps to remember that your baby's not going to feed exactly on a schedule. And, Mm. you know, there are going to be days that they stretch out their feeds and they sleep through the night and they nap for six hours and you go to see if they're alive, but you don't want to wake them up. (laughs) Yep. Done that. Yeah. So as long as it's not every day, like once a week, if you have a crazy day and a crazy pump schedule, it's, it's okay. You can recover and just make sure you get back to your normal feeding or pumping the next day.
0: I think it's I think there was a key to something that you just said about your schedule is that when you were able to, you kind of clumped them closer together to accommodate for some longer stretches that you knew were gonna happen. And so I don't think that you can just like not pump for a day at work and then expect to be able to recover that over the weekend. That is going to be really, really difficult. But Mm -hmm. I do think you're right. You do have more flexibility in your schedule as long as you're i like to have people maybe sometimes shoot for a number like so you're working a a nine hour day you need four you know ten hour day you need four pumps so if you Mm -hmm. have to do those first two a little bit closer together than ideal because you got a big long meeting in the afternoon fine but maybe shooting for the number per day versus like this every two and a half hour schedule rigid that cannot bend um, might work a little bit better for certain jobs especially ones like yours yeah
1: and i think um especially people, if they have like a longer commute, I usually recommend like pump on the way to and from work. Yes, you're going to feed your baby right when you get home. They usually don't care if you pumped 20 or 30 minutes before. Um, But that's, you know, that's going to mimic the way that babies usually feed where they have some parts of the day that they feed closer together and some parts they don't um, and definitely help you catch up. If you have a hectic work schedule and you realize in eight hours you pumped once, you know, which is not ideal um, but we can definitely do a lot to try to mitigate that.
0: Yeah. And as long as that's not happening, like you said, every day, mm-hmm. that's, a, you know, more of a problem. So did your second one take a bottle a little bit easier than your first? How did you kind of manage that scenario?
1: Yeah. So I learned my lesson. Okay. <laughs> is that I did have to introduce a bottle uh, before I needed it, you know, okay, and yeah. well before. Um, mm-hmm. So what I started with her... Gosh, in the first month, sometime I started having my husband do syringe feeds just to kind of introduce the concept that like not all milk comes from mom. And and we started with syringe feeds and like tiny cup feeds because they um babies don't usually develop like a flow preference for that where they do with bottles, right? Bottle yeah. feeding can just be easier than breastfeeding. So Babies like what's easier. I mean, so do I, you know, yeah, they're not, they're um, smarter than you think. Oh my word. Exactly. So we did that first and also just to get my husband comfortable with it. Cause I think he had some um, serious, like, you know, confidence issues with the first, like basically totally refusing any feeds from sure. him at all. Right. Um, and so we kind of eased into that and and we just do that like between feeds and just little tiny bits of milk. And then um, I introduced a bottle Let's see. I, ha- I tried to have my husband do it and I don't know if it was him or the baby, but it just didn't work. And usually that works for clients. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. So what I would do is I would give my daughter some milk until she got past that like initial feeding craze, you know, when they're like insane. trying to latch yeah. and root. Yeah. We'd, we'd nurse for like a few minutes and then I'd unlatch her, leave her in the same position and give her a bottle mm-hmm. or like a half an ounce of milk, not very much. And then relatch her and finish the feed at the breast. Um and that worked really well for us. Uh it kind of took the pressure off of it. If it didn't work very well, we were like whatever. We still got some boob, right? And it took her maybe 2 weeks to get the hang of it.
0: Um and I didn't do it every feed. I did it like once a day. Yeah. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. there's a really I think that we've given that recommendation a lot that your the non-breastfeeding partner should b- bottle feed the baby because the baby's not going to take milk from a yeah. mom that has milk in her boobs, right? But I think more and more what I'm seeing is sometimes the mothers know how to feed their babies the best because they're watching yep. and interacting with them at every feed. And so to transition from the bottle, especially if your baby is young enough, um, I usually recommend somewhere around like three to four weeks that we start doing mm-hmm. bottle practice. Um, not like full feeds, but just like you mentioned, this is the time to practice before they get opinions about things and start turning into little yeah. speakers. <laughs> yeah, but, they're so moldable yeah. then. But really like having the mother do it. You're the one, you know how they like to feed. You know how fast they like it. You know the positions they like to be held in. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having the mother. You don't have to leave the room. You don't have to leave the house and leave your crying hungry baby mm-hmm. with a partner trying to bottle feed. That sounds like a disaster for everybody in in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And I think it's just good when you start to know that there are different tactics, right? Yeah.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. sometimes baby won't take it from you, but the second you leave the house, they're like, "Sure, whatever, I don't care." And sometimes yes. they will, and it, you know. So I I ended up having to teach her how to bottle feed because it's a skill your baby has to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just like the way that my husband does things. God love him. I can- I like cannot watch sometimes. Yeah, we so all we
0: know when he we know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So like, when he gave her the first bottle, I was like, what are you doing? I just had to walk out of the house. I was like, I can't, I don't know what is happening, but it's not, I don't like, and and I was like, you know, so newly postpartum and emotional. Um, but they figured it out after I kind of taught her how to use the bottle nipple, right? Sure. And then what I would do is usually just once a week be like, I'm gonna go on a really long grocery trip or something and just give them an opportunity to kind of learn to be with each other that way. So then by the time i went back to work and you know um was doing clinical visits it was easy and by the time i did that first birth and i was gone overnight um it was fine
0: yeah does your partner also work who does your child care while you're away at your birth he works but we're both self
1: employed so okay. um we essentially just switch off on child care uh That's great. and it's i just feel so lucky that he can usually leave his job he's a mason um a stone mason And, um, like 90% of the time he can just drop everything and walk away and go deal with the rest tomorrow. Um, every once in a while he's like, I have to clean up or my work's going to be ruined. So I drive the kids to him and drop them off right. As he's like finishing up, you know? Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and then go to work if I have to go to a birth, but you know, most people go into labor in the evening and, and we're kind of pretty set for that anyway.
0: Yeah. And they usually have a little bit of time. They call you in early labor and they're like, just so you know, I'm having contractions, but I'm fine. Yeah. You know, I'll give you yeah, a couple exactly. hours to kind of get things squared away.
1: Yeah. And that's what I tell people. I'm like, if things are starting in the day, like shoot me a text message, let me know. I might need to come later um, so I can just like, you know, get childcare squared away. And sometimes I do just need to like call a friend or babysitter or whatever. Um, But it's nice if I have a couple hours to figure that out.
0: Yeah. Um, how did you decide when to stop breastfeeding or pumping your little ones? I think well, it's interesting, especially uh, <laughs> in your field and like knowing yeah. the benefits there. I'd love to hear your answer to this.
1: Yeah. So I um, nursed my son till he was four. Uh, and I was like, I'm just going to let him self wean and we'll do whatever. And I did kind of not really understand what nursing a toddler would be like. Yeah. And when he was like a year and a half old, I was like, oh, suddenly uh, dawned on me we did not have to nurse on demand anymore like i wish somebody had told me when he was 12 months old like you can stop now you can nurse him just when you want to um and so i i had a hard month of boundary setting because i was like i'm gonna go insane and we are gonna wean fully but we we did a lot of boundary setting kind of got him used to the concept of like not right now (laughs) give mommy a few minutes like You know, and just him being okay with me saying no. And then and then we continued for several more years. Um, my daughter, I'm still breastfeeding now, um, but I did introduce those boundaries like right at 12 months. (laughs)
0: Okay. Um
1: and and not hard boundaries, you know, but just like once a day, I'd be like, not right now, and kind of let her get used to that concept. Um, or be like, Hey, do you want a snack instead? Let's do a snack and a cup of water and and now for the most part unless she's like
0: sick or hurt if i say no she's like all right whatever mom yeah. and that's great <laughs> yeah i think that's a really unique insight into nursing toddlers and even giving someone permission like you can set boundaries you don't have to give it to them every time they yes. ask forever. um that's a really powerful thing to be able to you do have a little bit of control here and your children are going to be fine too, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I stopped pumping with her around like 15 months. I planned Mm. to stop at 12 months. And then, I don't know, I just kept getting really emotional about it. Yep. (laughs) I'd be like, I'm at work. I guess I'll pump once. (laughs) Um, And and that was fine. And she didn't really take any expressed milk hardly after like 13 months. I don't know. She just decided she didn't want it anymore. So um, I was like, I don't even know why I'm pumping, but I just kind of feel like I have to. Um, well, and, you can and maintain then maintain your supply yeah. a little
0: bit, so you can keep
1: breastfeeding her you when you're yeah. with her. You know, but you know, for short work days, I didn't like it. Didn't take very long till I didn't feel like I had to pump. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and now, now I can go 24 hours without nursing or pumping before I feel uncomfortable at all. Because most of the time, she just nurses in the morning and at night.
0: Yeah, it's, that's 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 a great place to get to. I, that was always my favorite mm-hmm. when we started doing morning and nights because that was really doable for me. Yes. And just taking, for one, the kind of bonding experience you get twice a day with your kids, but also it forced me to sit down twice Mm -hmm. a day. And I really enjoyed that, too. Just taking a minute to slow down and just be there for a minute.
1: Yeah. And it's really, I don't know. I I just think it's so cute, too. Like, Mm -hmm. she'll walk up to me and go, like, yeah, absolutely.
0: I will give you that adorable child. Oh, that is so fun. I love it. Um. You also are an herbalist, right? Do you have mm-hmm. any experience using like herbs and lactation or do you have any thoughts or opinions sure. on those things? I know we see that a lot. Take a supplement, take a tea. Yes. put all the stuff <laughs> I in. Have
1: so many opinions. <laughs>
0: tell me uh, just like a little um, bit about that.
1: Yeah. So if somebody comes to me with a low supply problem, I always, always approach it first from a physiologic standpoint. Are we removing enough milk to tell your body to make more? and that can be really complicated right that can get into yeah. feeding efficiency pumping efficiency schedules of pump you know i mean That's that that in itself is usually the problem right mm-hmm. um and then if if we have that perfect and we're still not getting enough milk i'm like okay we're going to make sure like we're not looking at insufficient glandular tissue or do you have hypothyroidism you haven't realized like the, you know kind of exploring those possibilities um but where herbs come into play for me the way that I see them is they can support the natural physiologic process, but they're not going to solve a problem for you. Perfect. You're not going to take Creek and suddenly make 20 ounces of milk, you know, every pump. That's not how it works, but they can offer your body really accessible nutrition. Um, we have phytoconstituents, you know, that can help your body do the things it's supposed to do. Um, And so, usually where I start with that is I'm like, okay, we're going to start with a blend that, sure, it has some traditional galactagogues, but it's mostly nutritive. Hmm. It's something where this is going to be a great support system just to help your body be normal, right? Um, Because, honestly, most people are add a nutrient deficient, the foods we eat simply don't have the nutrients we want them to just because of like poor farming practices or storage or processing. Um, And it's really not unreasonable then to start there because it's, it's no harm place to start, right? And then kind of once we do that and we feel comfortable with that, if we want to add in some more of the herbs that are what we think of as more like effective galactagogues, absolutely, we can try them. But if we get to a point, and I've had a couple clients like this, where they're like, "I can only make milk if I take fenugreek and blessed thistle and go through," I'm like, "Okay, but that tells us you have a problem." Yeah. Like we didn't make, we didn't solve a problem. It, we pointed one out, mm-hmm. right? Oh, that's if your body, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and that's just something where we need to look further into that, right? Like, are we then just using those herbs to kind of like. Um, mask symptoms of a larger issue your body's having, you know, um, because I don't think that's a sustainable thing to do is to then take certain herbs every single day at a high dose for the duration of breastfeeding.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I honestly, I agree with everything that you just said. We are (laughs) not going to be fixing problems with herbs alone. And yeah, but that can absolutely support what your body is supposed to be doing. I love how you phrase that. And how you utilize you. that kind of approach in lactation just i think every mom is nutrient deficient right you just grew and yeah, had I, a baby absolutely i know you're we eating just, we just had that whole thing happen and, yeah <laughs> yeah exactly
1: know. even in the best of Seriously. circumstances where you were like oh, i had a great diet through pregnancy i'm like yeah and that great diet just was born with your baby now what it do you was. have
0: <laughs> it was. you're forgetting to eat like all of these mm-hmm. things absolutely Well, as we kind of wrap up our conversation here, is there anything else you think is important for moms to know, especially lactating moms? This season two, where this will air is really focused on working moms, pumping, combining pumping and lactation. Any words of wisdom that you can share with us?
1: Um, My co-host and I on our podcast say a lot that hope is not a plan. And I think that applies very strongly to returning to work and balancing, breastfeeding and pumping. And if there's ever a time to use professional resources and have a consultation, it's before you go back to
0: work. I might even title this episode, Hope is Not a Plan. You should. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Seriously. I just, I I say this all the time when I talk to first, especially first-time moms on maternity leave, or just like, I'm just going to try and go back to work and, and it's, I hope it's fine. Or I think I, 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 no like yeah <laughs> you're reinventing
1: <laughs> i know as soon here, as I, <laughs> I hear i hope i'm like please don't hope no we're gonna know
0: we're gonna be and we're gonna know it's okay yes don't come back to me in two months when your milk supply is in the toilet and your anxiety is through absolutely the roof. like no because
1: we you know in a one-hour consult three weeks before you go back to work can prevent you from spending like seven hundred dollars on consultations and another three hundred on new pumps and an, like, mm-hmm.
0: it's crazy. When I lay out the costs, like of my program versus the pain and anxiety and products and other consults that you're gonna have to fill in, it it's just as like a no brainer. You know, don't yeah. How much is your time and and mental health worth? You know, just know what you're doing and just do it instead of trying to guess and there's help out there you're helping women in a lot of different ways especially in rural west virginia which i'm so thankful for Thank you. <laughs> that you that these women have resources like you um yeah we have lived in really rural areas too and it's hard it is really hard to find uh, resources thankfully a lot of it you can find online too but sometimes yeah i mean you can't
1: health. access basic healthcare. not to mention like what you know lactation and like dentistry and like all these specialties are like luxury healthcare, right
0: oh my gosh seriously isn't that terrible to say oh that but really? it's true like
1: people can barely get a regular doctor's appointment with their gp here you know well
0: there's like, how many are there in your area yeah i mean exactly kind of a supply and demand thing uh well thank you so much for being here i'm really excited to go and listen to a few more episodes of your guys's podcast the milk minute so much we'll have links down in the show notes for a lot of the things that maureen and i talked about today and how to connect with both of us and just there's so many resources available for you please do not try and do this by yourself especially if you're struggling find someone who specializes in what you do that can help
1: Mm -hmm.
0: all right we'll talk more soon thanks again maureen
1: thank you bye